So up rushed a good Irish cop who was determined to talk him down. So the cop yelled up to the man, Don't jump! Think of your father! But the man quickly replied, I haven't got a father, I'm going to jump! The cop was persistent though and said, Don't jump! Think of your mother! Again the man quickly replied, I don't have a mother either, I'm going to jump! Well, the cop kept going and he went through this long list of relatives, aunts, uncles, cousins, sisters, brothers. But each time the man would just yell back, I don't have one, I'm going to jump. Well, finally, reaching desperation point, the cop, who was a good Catholic, yelled, don't jump, think of the Blessed Virgin Mary. This time the man quizzically replied, who's that? To which the cop quickly shouted back, jump, Protestant, you're blocking the traffic. It's funny, right? But as the saying goes, many a true word said in jest. Protestants, of which Anglicans are one denomination, don't know as much about the Virgin Mary as Catholics do. And while I'd argue that Catholics perhaps fixate on her a little bit too much, Protestants probably don't give her enough credit where credit's due. So today we're going to take a look at the most famous thing that is recorded that she ever said or sang in scripture, but that many of us probably have never really studied or meditated upon. So it's called the Magnificat, okay, or the Canticle of Mary or the Ode of Theotokos, where Theotokos is just the Greek meaning God-bearer. And it's this hymn of praise by Mary, the mother of Jesus, that we find in our gospel reading today. And it happens right after the passage that we looked at last week, this joy-filled meeting between Mary, and then uh, who's pregnant with Jesus, and then her cousin Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. And what we're going to see is that the Magnificat, this old Advent song, well, it still speaks to us today. You see, God continues to seek hearts like Mary's, people who will magnify him, who will enlarge him in their souls and on their lips and with the passion of their entire beings. So let's turn to our reading from Luke chapter 1. You can see it on the screen if you want to follow along there, or you're welcome to pull out your Bible app if you want a broader context or even a Bible if you brought one with you. Last week, our rector Chris Warner preached on the song of Elizabeth. It comes when she encounters Mary and uh, Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist, leaps in her womb, right? And that song was a song of, do you remember what kind of song it was? A song of something. Chris, he described it as a song of, it is a song of hope, you're right, but these are all songs of hope. It begins with a B, a song of blessing. Well done, thank you. Um, a song of blessing. And it revealed that no matter how hard things get or how difficult things get, that the one true God, the God of love and power and goodness and sovereignty, well, he has us. He has you and me in his very hands and he's guiding us home. And so you and I, we are blessed if we know the Lord. And that is great news in the year of 2020. I loved Chris's sermon and how he pointed that out. This week, though, we got a different kind of song. The Magnificat is a song of rejoicing. I loved how uh, during the warm-up, uh, the band were playing, they finished the song and people started clapping, right? Because there was this really joyful song. There was a great energy to it. Well, we've got the same in the Magnificat. It's a joyful song. It's a song of great energy. It's probably modeled on an older song. 
Hannah's song. Mary would have known this song. It's from the Old Testament. It would have been hundreds of years before her time. But Hannah sang this song when she was a barren woman who became pregnant. And she rejoiced when the Lord gave her a baby boy. She burst into song and she sang, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. And from the very first line of Mary's song, we hear similar rejoicing. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, it's an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? My soul magnifies the Lord. You know, it's not often that you hear someone use that kind of language. Not often I hear someone say, hey, Jonathan, I just want you to know that I magnified your name today in front of some people from church. It doesn't happen very often. Or, or perhaps, Chris, you'll be pleased to hear that you were magnified by Annie just the other day. All right. <laughs> So what does that mean to magnify something? Well, the easiest way to think of it is, of course, a magnifying glass, okay? Everyone can picture a magnifying glass in their minds. Now, what does that do? What does a magnifying glass do? Can anyone tell me? Yes. It makes things bigger, right? Or start small forest fires, too, if you, if you want to. But generally, we use it for making things bigger, right? It enlarges them. So when we speak of God being magnified, what's being said is that he is being enlarged in someone's life or in one's soul or spirit, as Mary puts it. And how does this happen? Well, we magnify or enlarge God when we start to take into our thinking some new, perhaps, aspect or of, of his greatness. We start to think about it, and then gradually our minds are opened up, and we realize just how much bigger he is than we thought he was. Perhaps you would meditate on some scriptures about creation, and you start to realize, wow, this God, he created the whole universe. It's incredible. Or perhaps you meditate on the cross and his atonement, and you realize, man, I'm such a sinner, but this God is so much bigger than my sin, he's covered over that. And we are, our minds are expanded and God is magnified. Well, in Mary's case, she's just had a profound experience of the greatness of God. She just encountered an angel for one, right? Listen to how one commentator puts it. Mary, after the annunciation by Gabriel and her visitation with Elizabeth, has begun to think bigger and grander thoughts than ever before. A God who would do what he did in my womb, what must he be able to do in the womb of the universe? Her soul enlarged the Lord, and her mouth poured forth greater thoughts than ever before. But why specifically does Mary magnify the Lord? And what can we learn from her reasons? Well, I think there are three main reasons. I want to focus on these today. Number one is this. Because he sees her humble estate. God sees her humble estate, and she magnifies him. She, her view of God is enlarged because he takes note of her in her humble position. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. I think she's struck by the fact that really she's a nobody from a nowhere town, and there's really nothing special about her, at least in a worldly sense. Yet God meets her in this nobodiness. He meets her in her helplessness. He meets her in her weakness, and he lifts her up. He raises her up. It's a bit like if one of us were to receive a call from the President of the United States, and he would say something like this, I need you, I have a special mission for you. Can you be here at the White House later today? Now, that might be the norm for someone like Darren Hartford. I wish he was here today. But Darren's the kind of guy who probably does get called up by the president like that. But for most of us, it would be profound and stunning. The 
president knows about me? He, he, he's realized who I am. He needs me. He wants me to help him. But just like Mary, this is how God comes to us as well. He notices us in our brokenness. And he cares about us. And he has a mission for us as well. Listen to these scriptures. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. And then Matthew 28. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations. He sees us in our smallness, our brokenness. He cares about us and he gives us a purpose and a mission. And so we too, like Mary, can magnify the Lord. We can have our view of him expanded in our minds. Second reason that she magnifies the Lord, because she will be called blessed or blessed, if you like to speak in Old English. Second, Mary's view of the Lord is enlarged because all generations will call her blessed. Verse 48, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. What we've got here is a statement of wonder. She's amazed that all future generations are going to pronounce beatitudes. They're going to pronounce blessings over her name until the very end of the world. And then I would imagine on and on and on. What a mind-boggling revelation for this young teenage girls. Do we have any teenage girls in here? I see a, a few over there, right? Mary was the age of these girls right here, okay? Can you imagine hearing these words spoken over her? And it's certainly come true, right? Mary's name is the most popular name in the Western world, and it has blessed attached to it more than any other name. But Mary's not saying that she's blessed because of this future fame that she knows she's going to experience. That would reek of arrogance. And remember, Mary's just spoken about her humble estate. No, she realizes she's blessed because she gets to carry the Messiah, God himself, within her womb. And for this reason, Mary must always be blessed and honored by all Christians. This is right, okay? But she's not to be worshipped as some denominations have toyed with over the centuries or to be seen as a mediator to Jesus, that we speak to Jesus through Mary. We don't do that. No, we can talk directly with him. But for believers, for followers of Jesus, this blessedness of Mary also reveals our destiny and the eternal beatitude that we can have too. Listen to Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, right at the end of Scripture. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. All people who repent of their sins, put their faith in God and receive his forgiveness are born again and are therefore incredibly blessed. If you choose to follow him, you too are blessed. And in a sense, we too get to carry Christ within us. No, we don't do it physically like Mary in pregnancy, but certainly spiritually by the power of the Holy Spirit, we carry Christ within us. The Apostle Paul puts it, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. And for this, we too, like Mary, can gladly magnify the Lord. All right, the third reason that she magnifies him is because of her experience of his perfections. She's encountering a God who is perfect in so many different ways, in a way that she has never experienced before. And what do I mean? Well, there are three things in particular. She's encountering his perfect power. 
She's encountering his perfect holiness and she's encountering his perfect mercy. Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he who is mighty, powerful, has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So where does she experience these things? Well, first of all, the power she experiences at conception when the Holy Spirit comes upon her and without a man being involved, she becomes pregnant. That's God's power. She is prophetically the one who carries in her womb the one identified in Isaiah chapter 9 by the second of his four messianic titles as mighty God. The Hebrew name is El Gibor. Can you say that with me? El Gibor. Now you've got to say it like it's mighty. El Gibor. Like you're flexing your muscles here, right? He is the mighty one. Or it means literally mighty hero God. All right? Think He-Man and the masters of the universe. But bigger. All right? Mighty hero God. Because Jesus is going to engage in mighty heroics. Now you might think, well, that doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. He's a meek and mild. He's very kind and sweet. But no, as he comes to the earth, he engages in mighty heroics. And ultimately, resurrection power. He is, the, he is perfect in his power like no other being. As Kent Hughes puts it, God does the impossible. He makes dry wombs conceive. He removes hearts of stone and replaces them with living hearts. And he raises the dead. He is a mighty hero God. And Mary knows this, and so she praises him. But Mary knows the second of his perfections, that the son she bore would be holy because Gabriel has told her this. Verse um, 35 in chapter 1. So she sings his praise, saying, holy is his name. And God's holiness, more than any other attribute of God, describes his essence. In fact, it is his defining characteristic. And as such, we're going to spend a little bit of time on it. The holiness of God is a term used in the Bible to describe both his goodness and his power. It is completely unique, okay? And it is utterly all-powerful, radiating out from God like an energy. In fact, God's um, holiness is so overwhelming, it can actually be dangerous to approach him. We see this in Scripture. If you're struggling to understand this, listen to the example that one commentator gives, or one a metaphor that might be helpful. It's helpful to think of God like the sun. Okay, think of God like the sun. The sun is so bright and powerful that its energy radiates throughout the solar system. It's a good, helpful thing to be within the sun's energy. But the sun itself is so powerful that it is dangerous to get close. In scripture, we see examples of mortal men approaching the presence of the almighty God. The exact same scenario that this metaphor depicts is played out. But not only this, God's holiness also purifies impure things. We see this throughout scripture too. But then ultimately we see it in Jesus Christ. Think about it. This mighty hero God, Christ, who is God's holiness in human flesh, goes out into the land and does his heroic things, bringing purity to the land and healing the sick, raising the dead and casting out demons, all of which are examples of God's holiness now purifying the things it comes into contact with. Think about how the demons can't even stand to be in his presence. They are evil, not holy. They cannot be near him. God's holiness then is a powerful force that must be treated with utmost respect. At the same time, though, it is a gift. 
able to heal a broken and impure world, much like the world we live in today. Well, the final perfection Mary sings of is his mercy. She recognizes his mercy will extend to all generations. It's not just for her. It's not just for the Israelites then and there. It is for every generation from then on and afterwards. His mercy extends on and on and it transcends time. The poet John Donne said this, God's mercy hath no relation to time, no limitation in time. Whom God loves, he loves to the end and not only to their end, to their death, but to his end. And his end is that he might love them still. God is merciful in that he forgives us over and over and over again. He is slow to anger and he's rich in love. And so there are three divine perfections of which Mary sings, power, holiness, and mercy. But it is mercy that enables us all to experience what Mary's experiencing for herself. You see, we can experience these things. We can experience his power in our own rebirth to everlasting life right here, right now. We can experience his holiness as he makes us clean and a part of his holiness resides in us. And we can experience his mercy as nothing can separate us from his love ever again. Friends, because of all these things, we are called to magnify the Lord too. Our view of him should be enlarging each day as we meditate on who he is through reading scripture, contemplating it, spending time in prayer, observing the ones of his creation as we walk around. We too should be making great the Lord with our entire spirit and soul. That is what God wants for us today. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great preacher, understood this. And uh, he said of his own experience of complete enjoyment, um, he testified this. I like sometimes to leave off praying and singing and to sit still and just gaze upwards till my inmost soul has seen my Lord. Then I say he is inexpressibly lovely. He is altogether lovely. Yes, God is seeking hearts like this. And hearts like Mary's, people who will magnify him, who will enlarge him in their souls and on their lips with the passion of their entire beings. And he's seeking churches like this too. This week, will you spend time considering one of his many perfect characteristics? Perhaps you'll reflect on his love, maybe his mercy, maybe his compassion, his goodness, his kindness, his forgiveness, his power, his holiness. The list goes on. And will you praise him as you come to understand his greatness even more? You know, in our culture that raises up the profane over the profound or the gaudy over the good or the haughty over the humble, it is more essential than ever that we get away, we find a quiet place and we spend time dwelling in God's presence and listening to him and meditating on his word so that we can have right focus and right priorities. And we can say, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Let's follow the heart of Mary this week and experience the blessedness of God. Let's pray. Come, Heavenly Father, we pray that you will meet us today in our brokenness, in our helplessness, in our weakness, in the smallness of our lives. Perhaps we feel very distant from you. Perhaps we feel unworthy that you would even notice us. But today, Lord, reflecting on this passage, we see that we are noticed by you. We are loved by you. 
And Lord, you desire to raise us up too, ultimately to raise us up on the last day when you return. So help us to turn to you, to trust in your love and your care for us, and to live our lives magnifying you day by day with our words and with our actions as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.